0: Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Uptime Community. We are so glad that you could join us live today. Today's date is December 27th, in the year of our Lord, 2022. I'm Greg Messina, and if you are new here, we are a community of believers that are actively studying the Holy Bible and looking forward to that glorious appearing of our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. We do want to make this an interactive forum, so we do welcome your questions and your comments today. I don't know if you know who Jesus is, but uh, if you don't, we do encourage you to get to know him today. Here's the bad news. I do have to give you that first. We're all sinners. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. We all deserve eternal separation from God and his blessings. The good news is our debt or sins have been fully paid for by the finished work of Jesus Christ. He died for our sins, was buried, and was the only person who has risen in a fully glorified body on the third day. If you believe in your heart that this has happened and trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you're saved from eternal damnation. You will end up being a new creature in Christ and start to live for him, not for yourself, not for the world. Today, we welcome back Brother Lee Brainerd to Uptime. Lee is a Bible teacher and author. His areas of study include the biblical languages, eschatology, prophecy, uh, apologetics, and major theological controversies. He believed strongly that God was calling him to be a Bible teacher. Uh, I would like to open up with our usual Uptime panel first, and uh, we'll welcome uh, Brother Lee Brainerd in, in a moment. Brothers, thank you for coming back on Uptime. God bless you all. Yeah, Pleasure you to be back. Good to be here.
1: Hi, Hi Kevin. Go. Hi. All right. Uh, all right. Everybody looks good tonight. Everybody's excited tonight. I hope so. um, as soon as you guys sent, as soon as I got that message that Leo's coming on, I couldn't wait for this show. You no, know, he he is such a wealth of information that, you know, I didn't have to bone up on anything tonight. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah. Oh well. What, what, what? We'll make sure that um, we give you all the uh, questions there, Bob. Then, Yeah, um, I appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. Yeah, that's what we're here for. <laughs> uh, I'm glad you guys have him back on, too, because, uh, I, you know, the one where he was on, I, I missed that one. And uh, that was the only one I missed since, uh, like, October of last year. So I'm glad that he's back, and uh, I get a chance to, uh, to be a part of the panel now.
1: Amen. Right. Amen. Yeah.
0: All right. Well, uh, real quick, Brother Kevin... Um, yep. As I was rummaging through uh, a number of my my items, my things in the in the closet, I I came across a left behind game. <laughs> <laughs> did you? Rise of the Antichrist. Yes, and I I was very surprised to see that because I knew I had purchased it, but I couldn't remember where I placed it. Which one was, was it? At, uh, that was the Rise, right? Rise of the well,
2: Okay, yeah, we Rise did four. So we did four of them. We did. Uh... Mm-hmm. We did Eternal Forces, then Tribulation Forces, Rise of the Antichrist, and yes. World at War. Yes. And uh, Rise of the Antichrist, the, the third one, um, that that one is, is is very solid. The only thing that it's missing is like it, that came in, in number four was a couple of extra missions. And also we had uh, live actors uh, do video and uh, like news reports and things like that. So we put that in the fourth one. Yeah. Awesome, but you awesome. did. But on, in number three, you did get a very good uh, UI, and and the UI was was much better in that version. Uh, I, I can't believe you still have it. That came out in twenty. Whew, I think that one came out
0: in twenty ten. I believe you're right. Actually, I meant to bring bring it over here to, to show it and and look at it, but uh, that. I forgot, but That's anyway, cool um, it came watch. with it came with the book, yeah, LeHaye's book, right? Yep, uh, you know it was collection edition, um, and yeah, it, it was great to see. And then I went, you know, looking, reading. I wanted to read the credits. I said,
2: "Oh, there's Kevin, you're yeah, producer, oh, writer." <laughs> I,
0: think, I think you're in pretty much
2: every credit there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, I was <laughs> I was fully really involved with that game, and then um, and then you sent us the um, the trailer for the movie, uh, Left Behind, Rise of the Antichrist, which is coming out in late January. I hadn't seen yes. the trailer, and I watched it, and I'm telling you, it looks it looks pretty good. There were a couple things in the trailer that I was like, what? I don't know about that. So they took a little creative license, but it looks very action-packed. It looks, it looks kind of fun.
0: Yeah, it looks interesting. I, hopefully uh, we can go support it, go and see it. That's coming out January 26th. I believe, if I'm not mistaken, uh, left another Left Behind movie. Yeah. Um, LeftBehindMovie.com. It's got All
2: just, right, so, Kevin Sorbo in it, right? Kevin Sorbo, yeah.
0: He's starring in yeah, it. Sorbo's yeah. going to be, yep. yeah. yeah. Um, so without further ado, we should bring uh, Brother Lee Brainerd on and uh, we do welcome him back, of course. This is going to be kind of a continuation from the last time we, uh, we had him on with us. So if you have questions, please put them in the chat now. And we can kind of make this more of an interactive uh, form this time with him on. Uh, so that would be great, uh, Brother Lee. Thank you for coming back on with us.
3: Very thankful that I get to be back with the Uptime community, and I'm glad I get to meet a couple new brothers tonight. So hello, Kevin, and hello, Michael, and hey. hi to Bob and Robert, who I met last time. Yeah.
1: Good, to, right, see good so to see you. Good to see you, Lee. again, Brother Lee.
4: Good to thank meet you, Lee. Me. Yeah, it's definitely good to meet you.
0: So, Lee, you just came back from a conference, or not too long ago, anyway. Um, Yeah. You want to start with uh, telling us what
3: that conference is about and uh,
0: some of the topics? Well, on on the road
3: trip, we actually stopped, and I spoke in uh, a church in Tulsa, Oklahoma, on the way down. Uh, That was a great blessing. And then we went to Dallas, Texas, and I spoke at the pre-trib study group conference, and I gave uh, my research on the Greek word apostasia, in 2 Thessalonians 2.3, and I presented uh, both from the uh, English translations, the early Latin translations, the early German translations, and from the original Greek on how it's used, that apostasia uh, only means uh, a spiritual or a, or a political departure. It, it doesn't mean physical departure. And then I presented from the translations that none of the early translations, even if they used the word departure, none of them meant uh, a physical departure. They all meant a, a spiritual departure. So that was that was an interesting presentation. I gave a ton of information and uh, sold a few of my books, and I enjoyed the time very much. And then on the way home, I had a mini conference in St. Louis.
5: Good old very St. Good. Louis.
3: Awesome.
0: Right. Awesome. Uh, so one of the things we wanted to bring up, uh, today is the topic of the two witnesses. At least, uh, I know that is something that you have brought up in the past on your channel.
3: Yeah. Uh,
0: um, it can be somewhat of a controversial topic, I guess, a little bit, not too much, but I think most, the majority of believers are under the assumption that the two witnesses are going to be in the first half of the 70th week, Daniel. Yes, yeah. Not the second. Uh, a number of people will come up with, you know, their, you know, their reasons why that would be and make more sense to be. But you have a different perspective. Um, could you elaborate a little bit on that and tell us why you
3: believe that way? Well, I have found what I would regard as five pretty strong arguments why the two witnesses are going to be in the second half of the week. My first argument I call the congruity argument. Uh, when we look at the first five seals, we see the rise of the Antichrist. Um, this is a political and and uh, maybe some military ventures that's involved in this. We come to the second seal, and it's it's war. It's it's war around the world, not necessarily one big World War Three, but peace is taken from the world. The third seal is going to be uh, a famine, and then the fourth seal is is what. This called in Ezekiel, the Lord's four sword judgments, which is a death by the uh, wild animals or the beasts and pestilence and the sword. And uh, and <clears throat> um, I forget what the third, third one is. But anyway, it's the four sword judgments of the Lord. So these uh, developments are going to happen, but these are all on the providential scale. They're... They're not supernatural. When people look at them, they're going to think it's just the standard course of things. With one difference, the um, it's elevated. It's at a um, it's at a greater intensity than it's ever been before. It's more widespread than it's ever been before. It's more bitter than it's ever been before. So that would be the only indication that something is off kilter or something that's different than usual. And. But when we come to the two witnesses and we look at the miracles that they're working, they're calling down fire from heaven. Uh, they're ch- turning uh, water into blood. They're working the same kind of miracles that Elijah worked and that Moses worked uh, in the Old Testament times. And so these, this is stuff on a supernatural level. And that ministry of theirs doesn't seem to correspond with the character of the judgments that the Lord is using on the providential level in the first half of the 70th week. But they perfectly correspond with the supernatural nature of many of the trumpets and the vials. So I call that the congruity argument. The, the second one that I like to use is the timing argument. And if we look, for instance, in, um, in the end of chapter 11, in fact, I'll just pull this up because I want to read a couple passages here. So I'm going to pull up my E-sword and pull into Revelation chapter 11. And when we come to the end of the ministry of the two witnesses, uh, we read um, that their bodies are going to lay in the street for three and a half days. um, And the world is going to celebrate in verse 10. This always reminds me of Christmas. It just seems so iniquitous to have a Christmas-like celebration because God's two witnesses have been killed. But that's the depth of the depravity of the world, especially during the 70th week. But when we come to verse 12, the Lord says, come up here, very similar language to the rapture. And the two witnesses are going to ascend. They're going to be raised from the dead. And then in the same hour, there's a great earthquake. It's going to destroy one-tenth of the city of Jerusalem and going to kill 7,000 people. And then you read in verse fourteen, the second woe was past. Behold, the third woe was coming quickly. Now, if you recall earlier, we in uh, chapter eight, I believe it is, it talks about the three woes. Uh, So the third, the first woe is going to be the was the fifth trumpet. That was terrible. The second woe is is the sixth trumpet. And these events here that we're reading here, even though. They don't, um, people are not necessarily going to make a connection with the sixth trumpet, which started uh, in, in chapter 9, verse 13, when the four angels are released from the river Euphrates, and that brings out that whole Euphrates River um, scenario, which is scary. But then you go all the way through the events of chapter 10, and you come into chapter 11. Chapter 11 gives us a little parentheses which is the three-and-a-half-year ministry of the two witnesses. But that ministry ends at the end of the sixth trumpet. When when these guys are raised from the dead, there's an earthquake, and it says the second woe is passed. In other words, this is the end of the sixth trumpet. Now, the very next one is the seventh trumpet. Behold, the third woe is coming quickly. And the very next verse, which is verse 15 in chapter 11, says, The seventh trumpet sounded and we read the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. So I think what we have here, we're at the second coming. Now, I don't, uh, a lot of people, I think, don't understand the seals and trumpets and vials the way I do. I think each of these series, from the time it's introduced, each series ends at the second coming. So we have the sixth seal is the second coming. It's the day of the Lord. The seventh seal introduces the seven trumpets and it rolls all the way. The seventh trumpet is the arrival of the kingdom. Then the vials are into or the bowls are introduced and they end at the at the kingdom. So, right here, what we have is when these uh two witnesses are raised from the dead, that's the end of the sixth seal. That closes this the are not the sixth seal, the sixth trumpet. And then the very next one is the seventh trumpet, which is the arrival of the kingdom. So in my mind, this uh, confirms that these two witnesses are ministering during the, uh, the second half of the 70th week. Now, there's a third argument that I like to present, and this one's called prophetic constancy. And the idea of prophetic constancy is a prophetic typology is going to have the same meaning consistently in the prophecies on that subject. Uh, for instance, leaven is always going to be a picture of sin. Um, in, in the New Testament, uh, now in the Old Testament, the fig tree is all over the map because it's used in a new, number of different ways. But when we come into the New Testament and the Gospels, we see the fig tree is used of the nation of Israel. The, the, the fig tree is cursed. It's a picture of Israel's going to have its national sovereignty removed. That fig tree dies. Of course, we saw that happen in AD 70. Uh, then that fig tree comes back to life in the last piece because we come into the fig tree uh, teaching in Matthew 24 and in Luke 21. And that fig tree uh, is now again going to bear leaves. Of course, now this isn't a metaphor because it doesn't say Israel is the fig tree. And it's not a simile. It's not saying Israel is like a fig tree. But the passage does say uh, this is the analogy or the parable, and the, the word parable means not merely parable, but at times it's used for a strict analogy. Koine Greek uses that that way regularly, or comparison. And I think this passage is saying that God is comparing Israel to a fig tree, and uh, Israel is a fig tree proper, and the leaves on the tree are compared to that vast uh, multitude of prophetic convergence that swirls around Israel. So here in prophetic constancy, we have uh, the fig tree in the New Testament is a picture of Israel. Anyway, that's just an example of prophetic constancy, but it's also true for prophetic numbers. And um, what we have here is we've got a bunch of passages in the Bible that speak of the three and a half years, or uh, the the, uh, three and a half, yeah, the three and a half years, the forty-two months. Uh, the 1260 days, or the times, the times, time and a half of times. That's four different ways to express the same thing. These are always the second half of the 70th week. Now the difficulty comes is when we come to chapter 11, and let's pull that up again, the first two verses, and uh, the first three verses, I mean. And there we see we have uh, verse 2, is the court is given to the Gentiles for 42 months, And then the two witnesses have 1260 days in verse 3. And a lot of people say the verse 2 is talking about the second half of the tribulation and verse 3 is talking about the first half. But I think that this goes against the idea of prophetic constancy, that we're going to have these numbers are going to have the same meaning across the board. And so I think that we we are left with the fact that these two witnesses, according to prophetic constancy, are going to be in the second half of the 70th week and not the first one. Now, this is also talking about the
0: uh, overlapping uh, chronology, right, that you bring up as well? Yes. Constancy is the
3: overlapping chrono- uh, chronology, right? Absolutely. Okay. Yep. And uh, But there's another one, too, um, that's really interesting here, and that's the, the testimonial necessity. When I think about What's going to happen during the second half of the 70th week? The Antichrist has already consolidated power. In the middle of the week, the 10 kings in conspiracy with the Antichrist are going to burn the whore religion. They've used the whore of Babylon, the woman that rides the beast, to get this far, and now they're done with her. They don't need her anymore, just uh, Mm -hmm. like. The Nazi Germany and the Soviet Union used religion to, to roll into power, and then religion was only as useful as far as it served its purposes. They're going to set it aside, and the Antichrist is going to be worshipped uh, by the entire world. He will be the world's religion. And um, at the same time, we got the, the false prophet who makes an image that has life. This is a bizarre thought. Uh, make a statue or an image or an idol whatever you want to call it and it's going to have life and the world's going to be required to worship not only the antichrist but the image of the antichrist and those that won't worship this image or the antichrist are going to be executed but we also have the whole mark of the beast scenario coming out so and the the antichrist and the false prophet are going to call down fire from heaven and we also read in second Thessalonians that the Antichrist is going to roll into power with all lying powers, signs, and wonders. Uh, These are not phony powers, signs, and wonders. These are signs and wonders and miracles that are going to be authenticating a lie. Anyway, there's a tremendous display of satanic power. I think it's going to be the greatest display of satanic power ever in the history of the world. And to me, it would be incongruous to have the greatest display of God's divine power in the first half of of the 70th week and then have nothing in the second half and during the second half have the Antichrist have the greatest display of satanic power in the history of the world. Personally, I think that these two are going to be running side by side, face to face, nose to nose for the entire second half of the 70th week so that these two miraculous demonstrations are going to be duking it out. And there will be no excuse. Uh, I think the difference is going to be so profound uh, that, that anyone that has one ounce of sincerity is going to side with the Lord. But anyway, I call that the testimonial necessity. God needs to have his counterpart which is, I believe is going to be Moses and Elijah, along with the 144,000 plus all the uh, spirit-filled saved Jews, that miraculous testimony is going to run at the same time as the false prophet. But here's another interesting one. And uh, this deals with the Mount of Transfiguration. And what's interesting is the Mount of Transfiguration, the Lord had said just prior to this experience— there'll be some of you standing here that are not going to taste death until you see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Um, And, well, that that just threw, threw them. They didn't understand what he was talking about. I think it became apparent when they stood on the Mount of Transfiguration. Because on the Mount of Transfiguration, Moses and Elijah appeared, and the Lord appeared in the same wonderful glory that he's going to appear in, at his second coming. We get to get the taste of that at the rapture that the world doesn't get. But when this glory appears at the second coming, this is going to be a very warm glory for the saved and a very, it's going to be ugly glory for the ungodly. But anyway, so we see Moses and Elijah associated right there with the Lord in the picture of his second coming So I think that this is a good argument that if the typology has Moses and Elijah at the second coming, then the reality has to have Moses and Elijah at the second coming. And that's exactly what we see with the timing argument that I made out of uh, Revelation chapter 11. Moses and Elijah are going to be raised from the dead just hours before the second coming. Hmm. Now, the last one I call the typological necessity And in here, if you think about the story of Israel's deliverance out of Egypt, Moses led them out of Egypt and took them all the way through the wilderness and right up to the border of the promised land. And then Moses was forbidden to enter the promised land. And who got to to lead Israel to the promised land? Moses passed the baton to Joshua. And Joshua and Jesus are really, it's the same Hebrew name. They both have a short form. They both have a long form, but it's the same name. And so likewise, just as Moses led Israel in typology right up to the edge of the promised land, I think that the the reality or the fulfillment of the typology at the very end is going to have Moses right up to the very end and then pass the baton to Jesus. Um, and a very similar thought. Elijah was promised to come uh, before the great and terrible day of the Lord. Um, And when John the Baptist uh, came in in the spirit and power of Elijah at the first coming of Christ, he introduced Jesus. He was right there right up until the time that Jesus' uh, ministry on earth was introduced. And I think that it's going to be very similar uh, at the second coming. Elijah is going to be doing his ministry on earth right up until the time that uh, Jesus is physically introduced publicly, gloriously to the world. Mm. So you know, I I've, I've presented six arguments here. We have um, the congruity argument which is uh, the miracles that they work fit better with the second half than the first half. We have the timing argument, which has uh, Moses and Elijah raised from the dead just hours before the second coming, because it's right before the seventh trumpet. The seventh trumpet is the kingdom. We have um, the prophetic constancy that we can't have the 1260 days in one place uh, of the three and a half years be the first half of the week and the other six places be the second half of the week. We have the testimonial necessity which I think says uh, that it it just seems out of place for the Lord to have the supernatural miracle-working ministry of the two witnesses in the first half of the week when the devil has his supernatural ministry in the second half. Then we have the Mount of Transfiguration where the typology of the second coming should match the actual second coming, which would have Moses and Elijah right there at the second coming. And lastly, we have the typological necessity which Moses passed the baton to Joshua right before the promised land so Moses should pass the baton to Jesus at the second coming and Elijah was there to introduce the Lord Jesus at the first coming and he will be there to introduce the Lord Jesus at the second coming so i think these are six pretty good arguments that uh to me they're they're pretty convincing you know, you
1: know i love about that I'll say, you know, I love about this. You know, some people are going to disagree with you. You know, that's fine because we're not here for any of it anyways. That's right. We're not going to be here for any of it. We're going to be up in heaven. So yeah. if if uh, I always believe that the two witnesses will be here, uh, they leave right in the middle. But, you know, that makes really good sense. Okay. That yeah. makes good sense. What you present is a great argument. Okay. As long as you're not the guy saying that there's no rapture, resurrection, we got to wait to be resurrected at the end of the millennial reign. Like some yeah. people are preaching on YouTube now. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I think we know who we're talking about here. Okay, but uh, you know what I love—the point, the only part I want to make about what you said, which really stuck out to me, was when you mentioned when the whore gets burned by the beast system, gets burned by the when it gets burned by the beast system by the ten kings because they yeah, don't yeah. need her anymore. Oh, and right. If you look at climate change, what, uh, yep. what's going on with climate change, Lee? There is a military element and there is a religious element. There's a religious right. element that's giving it juice so people can really buy into it. And there's a military element that's enforcing it and that's feeding right. it and growing it. But eventually, they're not going to need that religious element no more. That's right. right?
2: It's an interesting take on it. Um, uh, of course, obviously, it's, it, if people disagree, which I actually do. Then it's not going to to cause problems or anything like that because well one thing I mean we're not even going to be here for it so it's all speculation to begin with. Um, you do make some good points. I also have some points as well on the other side for the for the uh, to for the first half of the uh, of the seventieth week. Um, one of the points is that uh, the 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 ceiling of the one hundred forty four thousand happens just before the wrath, which I believe. The, the, that part of the wrath happens after the midpoint, um, and you said that. Well, there's uh, if, the, if they weren't there, then there's nothing. There's nothing there to to preach. But the but the 144,000 are sealed just prior to the wrath, um, uh, full measure basically being poured down. And in addition to that, there's also angels in the sky that are preaching the everlasting gospel. So there's absolutely things that are going on at that point. Um, in addition to that, the uh, considering the Antichrist has power, is given power to overcome all the saints, uh, and the remnant has already fled into the wilderness, the two witnesses would be preaching during a time where only the remnant is protected by God and far away from Jerusalem, and those who have taken the mark. There's nobody else uh, left. So the the, the, the witnesses would actually be, be preaching to no one who could actually do anything about it. <laughs> yeah. So you've got remnant, which is possibly in Petra or whatever, far away in the wilderness being protected. And then you have those who have taken the mark. The ones who haven't taken the mark have already been beheaded. So who are these two witnesses witnessing to at that point? Well, uh, I think who they're witnessing to is
3: actually, um, uh, for one thing, it, we see it, Um, let's see, I'm going to find the verse here. It is verse 13 in chapter 11. It says, uh, 7,000 people were killed and the rest were afraid and gave glory to the God of heaven. I don't necessarily think that that means that they were all saved. But if we turn to Zechariah chapter 14, then in Zechariah chapter 14, um, we see that on the very day of the Lord, the day the Lord descends from heaven, that half of the city of Jerusalem, when it's surrounded and captured, half is going to be led away captive. But the remnant of the people are not going to be cut off from the city. And I think that this falls into place with uh, the one taken and the, the other shall be left, That which in my mind, this is a, a second coming matter. And that there, there are going to be people saved during the 70th week that are not part of the the. Remnant that's hidden in the mountains. It's not part of the hundred and forty-four thousand. I think the Lord is going to preserve through a, a number of means, a many different Jews. There's going to be many of them are going to have the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit. How would they?
2: How would they be able to survive though without taking the mark at that point? If they're not, if they're not being protected by God in the wilderness. Well,
3: we have the hundred forty-four thousand who are not protected by God uh, in yeah, the they're, they're protected. Yep, they are protected. Yes, um, and we have the whole typology of um, uh, Israel in being preserved in Goshen. I think that's uh, the Lord is very capable of preserving His people. We do read promises about the day of the Lord that a thousand shall fall at your uh, left hand and ten thousand at your right. So I think that the Lord is is capable of preserving Jews. We know that many of them are not going to be preserved. We know that they are going to uh, they're going to be beheaded. In fact, that's why the Lord says, if it's been given unto you to die by the sword, you are going to die by the sword. But I think he's going to preserve a remnant. There will well, be people
2: saved. Well, yeah. Well, m- many of them are also going to take the mark as well um, yeah. because they, they, they will not flee and they'll actually go along with it. Um, they made a covenant. They're making a covenant with death, and the ones who are in, in, in power will, will most likely continue to to do that all the way through. Yeah. Um, the, the the one other thing too that that perplexes me about them being in the second half is um, is that if they are actually there during the second half, wouldn't that cause a lot of people to question the antichrist as well? Because Well, I I think that is is the whole purpose into the temple in the midpoint and causes the abomination that that makes desolate and proclaims himself as God almighty. Then how how does he not have the power to to stop these two people? Wouldn't anybody around it go if you're God, it'd be a snap of your fingers and these two would be gone. But you can't do that. So doesn't that diminish what, what his message is?
3: No, I in my mind I think it actually strengthens it because you're what really the the purpose of the entire seventieth week the whole heart of it is the trial of the antichrist. The Lord is going to use the trial of the antichrist uh, to divide the entire world into those that are going to follow the the lie and those that are going to accept the truth, which is Jesus Christ the Messiah. And so, um, basically. That's the core or the critical trial of the entire 70th week. That is the, that's the heart of the hour of trial. And all the other judgments that come down are basically just discipline, trying to hammer people as hard as, as can be hammered to make them stop and think. Um, and the Lord's going to use this trial to divide the entire human race until there's nobody on the fence. Everybody is either taken the mark of the beast or they've been sealed by the Holy Spirit. Uh, the indwelling Holy Spirit of the New Covenant.
2: But wouldn't the would the two witnesses reach a lot more people during the first half rather than the second half? I mean, in addition to that, if if the the uh, if they were killed, and then the Antichrist proclaims himself as God, uh, and then they they ascend uh, to the bewilderment of, of many. Um, he, he could say, I made them go away or whatever, but the fact that they're, they're there during the second, second half and he's not able to get rid of them. I, I just see an issue with that. I see him being more powerful if they're there at the beginning of, of the of the three and a half uh, period. And then he proclaims himself as God and basically gets rid of these two.
3: Yeah, well, I have a I have a very similar argument why I think it fits better with the second half. Just try and walk through this scenario with me. Here, you've had the three and a half years shy of three and a half days uh, where these two witnesses have been going forth, uh, basically contending face-to-face with the Antichrist. And the Antichrist is able to do his whole will throughout the whole world, but he's unable to to hinder or stop these two witnesses. And these two witnesses are bringing, it says they're bringing the same kind of supernatural judgments upon the world that we actually see happening during the second half of the 70th week. So they're operating on a a supernatural level that we don't see in the first half. But now here what's interesting, when the Antichrist finally does manage to kill the two witnesses, this is going to be a tremendous amping of excitement for the ungodly world because I don't know how it's going to come about. I guess in my mind I can see maybe the Antichrist government comes up with some new high-tech Ghostbusters-type technology, and uh, they use it against the Antichrist, and they think it's what actually works, but it only works because God allowed it to work. And uh, uh, so now the world's excited, because if the Antichrist can take on these two witnesses, these two prophets of God, then we got every reason to believe that in in a within the next 24 48 hours when when the messiah comes down from heaven with his army we can beat those guys too because this is at the very time that these nations are being gathered and so i think that this is when the this gives the world um a reckless hope that they can defeat the christ at the second coming and just and so that's going to be the spirit that they manifest when they gather at armageddon
1: yeah well that. uh
2: that, that's it's interesting it's interesting take i um again i i don't necessarily agree with you even after all of that but once again it's okay to have differences and i guess we'll find out one day sooner or later probably at that rapture resurrection we'll we'll know a lot yeah, more man. at that yeah. point yeah um yeah. and that's what we call the perfect right then then we'll be unified we'll all know and we won't yeah. have any more disagreements about these things yeah. um but mm-hmm. of course just as paul said we're these are petty arguments and they're they're, they're I mean sure they're, it's nice to discuss them but if they if they turn into something that's uh, unprofitable that's when it doesn't get good so mm-hmm. obviously we're not going to go there to unprofitableness but uh, it's always nice to have a conversation back and forth with uh, with people about this well and- I think this is
3: part of the iron sharpens iron um, I find on every subject that I investigate I like to read the best authors or listen to the best teachers on both sides of the equation. And uh, I don't necessarily come to my beliefs in in short order, but you, you chew on these things. And over time, even if we don't get convinced of somebody else's position, we might learn two or three things from them that enhance our own. And that's the benefit of the iron sharpens iron. I agree.
2: I mean, I Amen. have that uh, Iron Sharpens Iron series on my channel. Um, I have 10 episodes there with uh, talking about all, bunch of different things. Um, I don't know if we ever discussed this in, in detail, but uh, you know, I got to say, um, I, I don't know. I, I, I mean, I, I can, I see your points. I think hopefully you can see my points. Uh, it's interesting because I think you can make a case either way. Um, and uh, the fact is, is that we, we just really won't know until um, until we're actually glorified. And um, mm-hmm. so it's always nice to speculate about it. Um, it's just an interesting topic. And it's, a lot of people also have uh, th- their preferences on actually who the two witnesses are. But um, in, in that case, you and I agree, um, uh, Moses and, uh, and Elijah uh, make the most sense uh, because you've got the law and the prophets, uh, you have the mountain of tra- tra- transfiguration, you have the fire coming down from Elijah. You have the, um, you know, the, the the parting of the Red Sea with Moses and the stopping of the rain, and so forth. I mean, you have a lot of the plagues and and things like that. So I think it, it it makes sense and it encompasses that. In addition to that, the people will say, "Well, Moses died. Moses died," and it's like, okay, well, number one, no one knows where he's buried, and number two, why does the Bible go out of its way to mention? that Satan was in a dispute uh, over the body of Moses. What, I mean, what, what's the purpose of that whole passage? Yeah, why do we care? Why do right, care about right? that body? Well, why, well, he hasn't disputed over anybody else in the entire history, but he disputes over Moses for his body. Why is that? <laughs> I believe it's because Moses needs his body in order to be a witness. <laughs> That's I mean, right. right.
1: Hey, have a little wager between you guys. When we get up there, all right. When we get up there, whoever is right, the other guy has to do twenty push-ups. Okay. We'll be. How about a coffee at Bucks? That sounds fair. i have a bully, I'll
2: be able to do twenty push-ups in my I like up that. there. Yeah. That's
0: great. Awesome. So we have a yeah. lot of questions coming in guys. All right. Let's start let's just but go ahead. Uh, let's let also Michael and, and Yeah, I just kind uh, of have a
4: few on. things to mention. So cuz we have Moses, right? He struck the rock, which is a picture, right, of the law coming against Jesus Christ who fulfilled the law and he couldn't lead them into the promised land because the law can't justify man. Grace, That's right through faith justifies and Jesus alone is the only one who can take us into the promised land. Secondly I was thinking about it and I was like well we have Moses and the, and the miracles and the judgments but all that was done prior to them entering into the wilderness and in Revelation we have them in the streets of spiritual Egypt still so mm-hmm. just thinking about that How would you explain those congruencies away? Can you uh, just uh, run that by me
3: one more time? Because I got the comparison with Moses, and then what's the other part of that?
4: Okay, so we have Moses in Egypt, right? He goes there to deliver the children of Israel out of Egypt with the plagues. But directly after that is when they get into the wilderness. Do you see what I'm saying? It wasn't the reversal to where he comes in the wilderness and does all these. You see what I'm saying? The pattern is that he's in Egypt, yep. spiritual Egypt of the world does what he does there. Then the 144,000, everyone who's sealed goes into the wilderness where they're protected. As you see okay. in Revelation 13.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah. Okay. Now I I I'll just start with how I see this illustrated in the church, and then we can go from there to how I would see it illustrated in the book of Revelation with the tribulation saints. I do find it fascinating that every one of us is called out of the wilderness of the world, uh, out of the, the death trap, really, of Egypt. Uh, Egypt sure, yeah. is the world. And, and it's a bit of an endeavor to walk away from the world Um, We are covered with the blood of Jesus Christ on the doorpost. Um, We're baptized with the Holy Spirit pictured in uh, being passing through the the dead or the Red Sea. And then we do our wilderness wandering Mm -hmm. in the wilderness. And it's only after the ending of the wilderness that we get to enter into the promised land. What's interesting, I find it fascinating that in the wilderness wanderings, there's a lot of people that fell away. They passed away. Mm -hmm. and. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't want to make too much out of the typology because I think the math doesn't quite add up. I think we're going to have more than two out of two million, you know, that are going to be entering into into heaven. But it is interesting that people in the wilderness wandering, there were people that were not saved and didn't get to enter sure, into the land. Yeah. And so when we come in with the tribulation saints, I think we're going to see very similar things. It's the same new covenant. Uh, they have the same, the Holy Spirit, the same sealing of the Holy Spirit, the same eternal, everlasting gospel. Uh, they just have it attached to earthly promises instead of the heavenly promises. And uh, they're going to be called out of the Egypt of the world. They're going to come and embrace their Messiah. They're going to be covered with the blood. Uh, they're going to be uh, baptized. They're going to, uh, and with water and with the Holy Spirit, they're going to res- uh, then beyond their wilderness wanderings. And I think that some of them are going to wander in the wilderness. Uh, some of them are going to be preserved in the wilderness. So there's going to be different aspects of of how that wilderness wandering comes to pass. Some of them are not going to have uh, the supernatural protection, and some of them are going to be uh, martyred. But ultimately, they're all going to come out of that time and enter into the uh, glories of the promised land. And man, I get excited when I think about the promised land.
4: Yeah. Oh, yeah. I I definitely do too. And I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think Paul in first Corinthians chapter 10 talks about the admonition that the, they represent it as in typology when discussing communion and how that, you know, those who fall away and take it in an unworthy manner, you know, there's a destruction that can come of the body, but the, the spirit, the soul is preserved. Oh, um, I think that's really, yeah, I think that's really interesting because Again, the law which we've seen come the first time in the natural sense through Moses couldn't do what God's able to do during the wilderness journey that we're on now. You That's know what I right. mean? By grace through faith. And I think yeah, I have. it's really interesting because there's actually so much to that wilderness picture as far as timelines go. And like you were saying with the death, burial, resurrection, we all enter into the wilderness. Yep. And, you know, uh, the Pharisees, I believe, came to John the Baptist and said, well, why aren't you fasting? And he's like, well, there will be a time when they will fast when I'm no longer with them. you right. So
1: that's we have right.
4: this days uh like a thousand years, thousand years like unto a day period going on, so we have these multiple, which I think is actually really interesting that the period of forty of the fe- the fasting and testing in the wilderness, if you multiply that by the fifty jubilees that 's two thousand years. I find that very very interesting, and also how he stayed with the Samaritans for two days before the the fields were <laughs> white and ripe and then ready to go, you know what I mean, so I definitely think there 's very much so consistency not just in the, the different aspects of yeah. the judgments, but also the patterned-out timelines. I think they're pretty echoed and yeah. congruent throughout Scripture. And yeah. I agree that the consistency, congruency, or I'm not sure how you phrase that, but I've, um, the Lord's always kind of shown me to look for those congruent patterns that are just yes. rippling throughout Scripture. Yep, yeah. well, I you think
3: said the patterns the 40s are just amazing.
5: Yeah. Lee, well, you said... Yeah. Uh, you said something a little bit ago. Uh, it was sort of toward the beginning of what you were talking about, where um, the two witnesses are killed. Yes, and um, then the you know the world rejoices that the that the witnesses are killed, and then yeah, and then they're raised. You know, yeah, raised again. Uh, it's interesting because uh, the a verse the verse <laughs> you know the verse I'm where I'm going to. If, if the princes of this world had known. Yep. That's right. They would have not crucified the Lord of glory. Why is that? Because what did God do? He raised him from the dead. That's right. Uh, when you said that, I went, whoa. And also another thing too about the, the anti right, the Antichrist and the image being worshiped. Uh, it goes back to uh, Nebuchadnezzar and, uh, you know, you've got to fall down and worship this image, and if you don't, you know, you're going to be, you know, we're going to we're going to put you in this furnace. But the interesting thing is, it's so much of uh, the word and the truth has to do with, uh, and you know, I'm I'm not I'm not a, you know, really a deep scholar in the word, but I, I understand a few things, and I really see that. So much of this, uh, and it's wonderful. It's it just has to do with new life. Amen. You know, it's uh, when when before we're born again, we're dead in trespasses and sins, without God, without hope in the world. It's the evangelist hymn. You got to excuse yeah. me for a second. And <laughs> and and then uh, the, our old man nature. You know, once we put on that new man, which we have to do, and we're uh, the old man is perishing daily. And that's right. We're we're putting on the mind of Christ, and we're being renewed day to day. But so much of it, I mean, if if Jesus Christ had not has not been raised from the dead, our faith is in vain. But you, you can see the power um, that's manifested. Amen. Uh, to, you know, to raise the two witnesses. And in, in the word of God says that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in us. Amen. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm always fascinated to hear things. And I, I kind of, as I'm sitting back here, I'm going, you know, this is sort of, uh, it gels a lot of things. It, it just it makes me quite honest with you, it makes me very thankful. That I know, that I know the Lord Jesus Christ, because yeah. there was a time Amen. in my life when I didn't, and I was Amen. in. You talk about a wilderness experience. Holy smoke! I could tell you stories about wildernesses, but I won't—not tonight. Um, yeah. But at the same time, it, it's so—you know—Satan thinks he's won again. Oh, I know, but he's going to be proved wrong again. That's right. Which is fine with me. Uh, but it's so. Um, it's fantastic and it's it's really simple uh, and and God is not uh, you know it says he wills that all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. It doesn't say a knowledge of a truth or a knowledge of one of the many truths I, I make a point of this when I'm teaching. That when Jesus said He was the way, the truth, and the life, He never said He was one of the ways, one of the truths, and one of the lives. He said He was the way, the truth, and the life. Amen. And in order to come to God, you had to come through Him. And it's not, a, a, it's not a forceful thing. It's He makes it available to us, and uh, we just need to seek Him, and He'll show us. And yeah. he and uh, he doesn't. I'm talking to you once again. He doesn't. He doesn't do this. Um, you know the the gifts and calling of God are, are, are um, you know with with love. You know they're not they're not done. Um, it says the the love of God calls a man to repent. They're not done heavy handed, but they're it's like you're saying he was he and we've all said before. He makes it available, and it's a decision you have to make. Uh, but it, it's it's really interesting. I'm gonna I'm gonna zip I'm gonna zip it <laughs> at this point. But uh, <laughs> the re, the resurrection uh, part was the thing that really that really uh, kind of struck me this this evening listening to you listening to um, what the guys have been
3: saying. I've the, often thought that. It must be awful being the devil. Can you imagine all your efforts against the saints in all the ages, trying to get them to forsake their faith and trying to defile and pollute them? He's got no way out. Of this, yep, uh, right, got no way out of this one. <laughs> you will occasionally get a believer to go to such a degree of sin and lukewarmness that the Lord will call him home early. So, so okay, so you just gave him a ticket to heaven, okay? But the rest of <laughs> he's yep. um he's the the god is using the devil to try them to purify <laughs> them to temper their faith can can you imagine how frustrating it must be to have a zero batting average
4: yeah, yeah. i mean if you
3: have a 200 batting average you're out of the professional baseball and he's got yeah. a zero batting average
4: yeah i feel right. like uh Satan is just the manure of the world that causes us to grow better. <laughs> you know, oh, yeah. God just uses them as just packing in the manure and yeah. just to have us flourish yeah. more. Are you yeah. saying
2: Lee that uh, Satan is below the Mendoza line? Satan's been below the Mendoza line the entire, his entire existence. Yeah. He, mm-hmm. He's still to this day though, continues to believe that he's going to ascend into the ultimate power uh, in heaven. And uh, you know, that's what he's, he's continued to fight for, but that's one reason why he's so upset and angry when he gets thrown down to the world because he has lost his access to heaven and he will never ever go there again. And that's right. he he knows he has just a short time when he comes down, and that's why there's a there's a woe, right? <laughs> that's why there's a woe to the to the inhabitants of the earth because he's come down,
4: that's and
2: right. um, you know it makes a lot of sense that uh, he's he's continue he, he's going to continue to try to get back up into heaven and do whatever he takes. And of course, a mass an arm, army against a heavenly host that's uh, descending from heaven, including us, by the way, 10,000s yep, uh, t- thousands and thousands of saints. Uh, th- how could – and Bob's po- possibly were swatting away satellites on the way down.
1: Yeah, uh, baseball bat with my horse. Yeah, the
2: baseball bat. Uh, <laughs> on, on I mean, how can, how can they possibly believe that their kinetic weapons or whatever, or even supernatural weapons, could – could could disturb um, and, and and go against a glorified army. I just I think that's just so delusional. Uh, I just uh, he's just he's gone over the edge. <laughs> and I think that yeah. we've seen the people that follow him and follow evil these days have gone over the edge. They, they they've been given over to a depraved mind. That's and right. And we're seeing that happen yeah. right now. We talked about that a little bit last week. That. The decisions that these people are making these days are not logical. No. They, they make no absolute sense. The, the only reason why they're doing it is because their mind is is gone. It, it's been given over to the, to, to the, to the dark side. Uh, and, and you can see that, how powerful that is, because even reason makes no difference whatsoever now. It, it is... The things that these people are pushing for and, the, and what they're doing, and it's just getting worse every day. You think, what's the next thing? What could possibly be worse? And they come out with something that's even worse. Well, and that's if, what reprobate
5: yeah. means. It's, it's mind, retro- mind yeah. void mind void of judgment, which is in right. the same mind. Yeah. So if yep. you
2: don't have God in you and he, all you have is satanic feelings and giving over to demons, you're not going to be making any good decisions whatsoever. That's right. What it seems like they've just given themselves as a corporate body all over to them. They're ripe for the picking for the Antichrist, and um, and those who are who are left behind, there are going to be multitudes that see through that. Though, thank thank the Lord for that period of time because yeah. there are going to be a multitude saved. What well, I, I think really- fascinating about that whole
3: picture is that here you've got the majority. Who all are saying the same kind of nonsense things, and they have the audacity to accuse the believer of not thinking for himself.
2: Right. Yeah. They they say that we're in a cult. But let let me tell you something, though. We we have an independent mind, uh, each of us, all of us do. Yes, we are a corporate body, but like when someone disagrees with someone else, for example, right now, it's allowed. There That's is right. no nothing, yeah. no disagreement yeah. allowed with them. You disagree with them, you are canceled. You are done. You are, you, you know, you can't have a job. We must take away your children. You, you, you go to jail or whatever. I mean, the, 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 they are in a cult, and their religion has now become climate. Yeah. Now become oh, the, for it sure. Become the climate. I mean, they it's, it. they're worshiping the creation rather than the creator.
4: Yeah, and they you know, they all had a love not of the truth, right? But they chose to right. believe the lie, so they were all right. cast over to that strong delusion. Given
0: and it's only- really a
4: sad thing, but it's not even – we have the lie to the delusion, but we also have another component that we see with Lucifer. And I think that's why when he's cast down – I think I've mentioned this before and possibly here – but I mean, I believe it's the same pride that blinds us as believers spiritually. Is the same pride that caused Satan to fall to believe that he could be like God, right? And to fall in, I would say, Lee might get me on this one and say no. But uh, I, I always believed that you know Satan was the original apostate. You know, he was the original apostasia uh, character child or the poster child who fell. Because Certainly. of the pride, you know, and yeah, no doubt. He, when yeah. he gets caught no and cast down, it's that it's the picture, right, of the pride goes before destruction and the haughtiness before a fall. It's like almost like a humbling has took him place because he's no longer having free reign into the heavens. And that, that reality check opens his eyes to my time is actually short. This is actually going to happen. Ah. <laughs> That's no. what I think Satan's going to be like. But instead, you know, I, like,
1: I like what uh, Bob Hagen said earlier. He said that uh, he brought the verse up. They knew who the Lord was. They would not crucify the Lord of glory. Yeah. You know, Satan knew that Israel is going to be redeemed through Christ. Mm-hmm. He knew that. But he did not see the body of Christ coming.
4: He, no, didn't, he didn't see, see the gentiles. No. He didn't
1: see his replacement being created, the body of Christ, a celestial no, no. civilization that takes place of him and all his boys. That there. mystery he wasn't didn't see that coming, did he? That no. mystery wasn't revealed. See, that and so wasn't revealed. The, the
2: thing is, too, is that Satan, when he's cast down, you'd think Michael maybe he'd be humbled and then he'd get on his knees and he'd beg for forgiveness. But no, instead he goes the opposite way, which is like I'm going to double down right? and I'm going like to make Arab. it as as bad as it possibly can get. But you know what? that is mirrored in the people who are in control of the media and the governments these days Mm -hmm. they double down they don't say they're sorry they don't admit when they're wrong they actually do just the opposite they double down and they get worse so that is a complete parallel to the um the apostasy which is the rebellion i mean that was the first rebellion that was the first apostasy and we are seeing that rebellion right before our very eyes right now. They are rebelling against God. They are rebelling against Christ. And they are doing it more and more so every day and getting harder and harder down that road. And their hearts are getting harder and harder. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm.
4: It's just like a total representation of Pharaoh, right? I mean, yes. it's you. And now we see why he makes such a great typology for the Antichrist because yes. it's yep. that. Oh no, what did I do? And then, ah, I'm going to get him even harder this time, you know? And, and he just God, keeps getting harder and harder and harder. And, and then God
2: gives them over to that debased mind. And then they, he, he sends strong delusions so that they will believe the lie. So, yep. I mean, th- that's what he did with Pharaoh. He continued to harden his heart in order to do what? In order to ultimately. For, make the plan come to fruition that was Amen. that was God's plan a typology uh on the passover with Jesus and the firstborn Amen. and all that stuff Th- that that yeah. would have never happened if Pharaoh would just would have said okay fine let him go in the first plague or this fraud the frauds yeah. are too much go ahead and go <laughs> I'm not I'm, I'm not gonna relent you just uh, I'm, I'm gonna go ahead and relent you go ahead and just leave no it had yeah. to go all the way to the end didn't it
4: mm-hmm that just shows you something interesting about the character and nature of Pharaoh, right? Because if it would have been, well, I, I hope the god if he would have been like, ah, oh, <laughs> the lice is enough. I'm done with this. Right, yeah. lice. is I mean,
2: enough. Yeah. snakes coming in and eating the other snakes would have been like, yeah. well, I don't have much power here,
4: do I? Yeah. but no, yeah. I mean, still re- like rethink these decisions here. Right. Yeah,
1: <laughs> I got another re- question
4: here. Huh? He
2: puffed himself up though, didn't he?
1: Yeah, we got a question here for you, Lee. Yes. Are we under
0: a new covenant or a renewed covenant? Can you tell us what the Greek word for new covenant is?
3: And I was just looking that one up because uh, I saw that word coming up. And uh, the new covenant. Why don't we look up a new covenant verse? Have, have a verse that has the new covenant in it. All
0: right. So we have, we could do Luke 22. Let's see. 20? Let me bring that one up. You said Luke twenty? Um, well, it's talking about the his cup being the New Testament. Um okay, yeah. Sorry, be. the new yeah, the New Testament in my blood, which is shed feet. So uh let me see if I can find another one in the meantime. But
3: uh, Wh- which, which which uh which verse is that?
0: Let's. So you want to do New Covenant, right? So let's do Hebrews. Well, new Covenant, New Testament will be the same Jeremiah thing. Jeremiah thirty-one,
1: thirty-one to start. Yeah, or Hebrews eight, thirteen.
0: Right. So let me do. Let's do uh,
3: Jeremiah. Hebrews eight, thirteen. You
0: want to do that one?
3: Hebrews no, eight, thirteen. That one up, and the, here we have for the Greek is, um, Kine. It's new. So it's new in quality and not just new in order. Yeah.
0: Hebrews 8.13 yep. 8, he A new covenant he hath yep. made the first old. Now yep. that which decayeth and waxeth old
3: is ready to vanish away. So, yeah, so are we under a new covenant or a renewed covenant? So I think I, if I understand this question... Is this just a, a improved version of the Old Covenant, or is it a completely new covenant? And no, it is a completely new covenant. Yep. Under the Old Covenant, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. Under the Old Covenant, there, there was no provision for salvation except perfection. Right. Um, but just by the very nature of the case, even though the law was righteous and good, uh, man's weakness was such that the law couldn't do anything but condemn. And so, ultimately, the Lord intended to use the law as a schoolmaster to bring men to the new covenant in Christ's blood, to bring men to Christ. And once we have come to Christ, he um, um, he that has Christ is dead to the law. So we do have very much have a new covenant. And and here we read, read in Hebrews eight thirteen, the old covenant's going to pass away. And the fact of the matter is, at the second coming, at the end of the seventieth week. Israel is going to be transferred from the old covenant, officially transferred to the new covenant, and the new covenant will be the covenant of the millennium. It'll be new covenant associated with earthly religion. In this dispensation, we have the new covenant associated with heavenly religion. <clears throat> but as far as I understand it, the uh,
0: new the covenant will happen. Uh, at the end, right? I mean, so the, the New Covenant will... Jesus is the testator. That's right. Testator for the New Covenant. That's right. But it has not happened as of
3: yet. Yeah, we've had the New Testament vouchsafed to us. We're saved under the New Covenant. Um, but there's aspects of the New Covenant that have to be officially ratified yet.
0: Amen. Very All right. So, Next one. Let's see.
2: You know, one one thing um, that comes to mind regarding new covenant is uh, in, in the Old Testament, in Ezekiel 36, 26, it says, I will give you a new heart. That's right. A new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Amen. So you're talking about some uh, a complete change. So That's it right. Is, it is new. There is no more of that law death thing anymore and and it's a huge difference and that's talking about Israel and ultimately Israel is going to at least the remnant is going to put that away and they are going to call out for for the Messiah Jesus they are going to realize that the Messiah came 2,000 years ago and that the covenant changed with him And, and and it was a difficult thing for even like the disciples to, to deal with, because you, you still had you know, like Peter and all them. My dad was was reminding me of this is like I'm like, remember that time that Paul like said, hey, what are you doing, Peter? You know, you're, you're, you can go ahead. You can eat with the Gentiles. You can eat what they're eating. Uh, but but when he goes, you need to give Peter some slack because all he knew throughout his entire life up to that point was that you must do these things and not do these other things. Right. That's right. And so things, everything changed. <laughs> and uh, it, can you imagine, like somebody who's like possibly forty years old, and all of a sudden everything's changed. And it's not just like habits or anything like that. This. this is your 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 faith. This is your salvation. And it, and it all changed. But that's the beautiful thing about what Christ did there on the cross uh, was that everything did change, and that those yes. animal sacrifices were no more needed. The high priest was no longer needed. Like everything completely changed. And and for those who understand it and know that, it's a beautiful feeling to be in the in the spirit and have that new spirit, isn't it? And not have that spirit of stone. You think of a stone and it just weighs you down, right? It's like, you're always in depression and submission. You're just like, oh, I cannot ever, I can never get, get there, you know? I can never measure up. And that's what the law was supposed to do. And it does it really well. But Jesus is the is the answer to that and that it, it, in fact you cannot get there without him and and just like what robert was talking about earlier you want to have the stone taken away and have a new heart of flesh only jesus can provide that and
5: hebrews hebrews is a great example of that when you read through hebrews you you know you're seeing the you know how what jesus did to you know take care of the of the problems that the first Adam right. did, you know, yeah, it was a, yeah. a great explanation there, Kevin. About it's like because, a case uh, study,
2: you know, yeah. it's like,
4: yeah. here, no.
2: here's here's your problem, here's the yeah. solution, here's another problem, yeah. here's the solution, and the solution's always Jesus.
4: <laughs> oh yeah, and it's, and it's, it's a simple thing, thing, thing
5: too, you know. It's really it's not something, uh yeah. that, that, it's, it's easy to it's read. It's not something that we can do. It, it's something that we have that he had to do. Yeah.
4: And I just love the Bible, how it's so rich in illustrations and how you have the heart of stone, which is a always kind of almost synonymous with judgment and law. Right. Right. So you even see it pictured in just the stone itself uh, of being represented as the heart. And I think that's really awesome. And then speaking to what you're saying, Kevin, about, you know, how we go through this process of what we eat and how Peter's like, oh, this is totally different. That's the beauty of the the new covenant and the grace that we're under is that relationship and sanctification process of the Lord guiding us and teaching us, ordering our steps. And, you know, like, Hey, you know, Michael, you should probably not do that. <laughs> you know? Right. And I'm like, okay, Lord. Yeah. You're right. Obviously I'm small wrong. <laughs> I'm gonna... Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's such a beautiful thing. And that's when we enter into that more personal relationship rather than like this I that's don't know why we, this dynamic with the law. That's why we see there's, there's
2: freedom. There's freedom in Christ. There is, it is not a burden. This is not a heavy yoke. This is this is actually freedom. And and
1: mm-hmm.
2: that that's I think that's the beautiful part of it. Could you imagine walking around every day with a stone in the middle of your body? I mean, you wouldn't be <laughs> able to tread water. You wouldn't be able to keep your head up. It's it's impossible. But with the Holy Spirit, and you have this spirit of, of of flesh. Now all of a sudden, it's a lot softer, and it yeah. floats, and you're like, "Okay, I can get through this." And it's like when trials and tribulations come your way, you're like, "Holy Spirit, help me." That's why yeah. it's a constant, day to day deal. You know, one of the yeah. things that
5: one of the things I'm uh, I'm just going to make a, a statement. It's maybe away from a little bit of what's been you guys been talking about tonight. But over the time that uh, we've been doing these uh, uptime panels, I've, I've noticed something that's uh, the Lord has been doing, uh, and it's a word for all of you guys if you want to call it that. Um, I, I don't really know Lee that well, but um, I've, I'm getting to know him a little bit better each time he's on. But I, I really, I really feel that the Lord has has, has softened all of our hearts and. And and solidified uh, the truth that we know. uh, Each each time we get together, um, from the very time, from the very beginning of uh, when Greg first put you know put this on here, to the time that we're sitting here right now on this Tuesday night, um, we've all grown. And uh, it says to grow in grace, And, and I think we all are growing in grace. Some of us. Um, a lot more, uh, having a lot more of the, uh, real, you know, intricate understanding of the word that than uh, than I do, you know, I just, I'm just, I'm just a simple old hippie from California, but I'm by the grace of God, he, he, he saw fit to save me. And, but I, I'm really, uh, I, I see it and, and there's, there's so many different examples of, of, um. Trials and tribulations we've all been through, right, Bob? I mean, we've, we've been through some stuff, but we're still, we're still standing. Uh, We're not perfect. Uh, The word says that we're, we're blameless before him. I, I I did a teaching recently. We're blameless before him in love. It never says we're faultless. It never says that we're not going to make mistakes, but when we make them, we have an advocate with the father. You know, we can, you know, Lord, I, I need you, and it's not just you know an hour a week. You know we we need him. You know we need every we need every we needed every drop of that blood.
3: I, you know going I don't know up, how, I don't know
5: how else to put it. I mean,
3: yep. I, I, a I thought that kind of piggybacks on that is the whole idea that when it comes to weakness, God's patience is all day long. But when it comes to rebellion, his his patience is pretty short. And well, so it says it, in the word rebellion,
5: it, the rebellion is, is the sin of witchcraft. And all through exactly the Old right. Testament, yep. what were the problems with the nations that Israel was dealing with? Most of the time, witchcraft. Most that's of the exactly. time, it was idol, idol worship. It was always things mm. that were, you know, they were trying to find their own way to do their own thing. You know, maybe back in the day, you know, do your thing, do what you want to do. That song, it just, if it feels good, do it. If it's, yep. you're as long as you're not hurting anybody, it's fine.
1: If you're hurting hey, yourself. Yeah, Lee. Hey Lee, that was a pretty profound thing you just said right there. Uh, can you elaborate a little bit more on weakness and rebellion? Because I think some people get the two of them are kind of almost synonymous, almost.
3: Yeah. You know, so Let me give you a classic example. Uh, a few years back, I have a young friend that was in a, a church, not the church I'm in, is a church in a different town. Um, and this young man, um, was a, he, was a, he was a devoted young believer in many ways. He studied the Bible. He was useful in evangelism, and he had a heart. He, he You know, if the church doors were open, he was there. But he had a weakness. He'd grown up in a dysfunctional home. Um, He grew up in the inner city. Uh, He didn't have strong Christian friends growing up. And he had great weakness. And his weakness was women. So this young man gets a job. He's working as a a waiter in a fancy restaurant or a nice restaurant. And he's constantly got good-looking females hitting on him. Well, this poor guy got into several different immoral relationships with women. And finally, the church had had enough. They they said, you know, not only did they put him out, they said, we don't believe you're saved. And we're not going to take you back until you can confess you're not saved and you really get saved. So I had, I went and I talked to the elders and some of the elders in this meeting. And I, I visited with them. I said, I don't think that's a right position. I said, we we're, we're not looking for signs of spiritual health to prove that somebody's saved. We're looking for signs of life to prove that somebody's saved. And there's a ton of signs of life there. And those signs of life just happen to mix with signs of weakness. And um, I said, I don't think he's an ungodly man. I think he's a godly man that just likes good-looking females. And uh, he's got a weakness there. So we need to figure out how to strengthen this problem. And we're not going to strengthen it by treating him as, as if he's unsaved. So eventually the the elders came around, they were on the same page and they gave me permission to start meeting with him until he was ready to be restored to the local church. Well, ultimately uh, he's, he's improved in this area. One of the things we, we encounter him is you need to get married. Well, it turned out that the young, the last fling that he had, the gal actually got saved and now they're married. And, uh, you know, there can be a ton of weakness in young men and young women. Uh, that's one of the. That's part of what it is to be a young believer. You you have carnality, and those things don't fall away easy. It, there's a, a a period of growth, and there's a period of strength, and and repentance isn't coming to a point where you're never going to sin again. Repentance is coming to a point where you're going to fight against your sin. And some of them you're going to find easy to have victory over, and some of them you're going to find very difficult to have victory over. And, uh, but there's a big difference between the weakness of a young believer and, and the wickedness of someone that's just in rebellion against the Lord. When you deal with the weak believer, they will show remorse when you deal with them over their sin, and they will show repentance when you deal with them over their sin. But when you deal with someone that's in rebellion, all they can do is justify themselves and fault you and fault the church and fault the lord. So I don't know, hopefully I clarified that situation a little bit there. Amen. Yeah, that's that's
4: mm-hmm. great, man, cuz exactly they, they rationalize,
5: but they rationalize their actions, yeah. they, they say that justifying. Well, this is yeah. why this is why I'm doing this and and God still loves me and I'll I'll be okay, you know. I just you know, I'm going to yeah. go back and start doing some of the things I used to do and and, yeah, uh, I always know that I can. You know, it's that's that's a that's a good example because it, yeah, it the forgiveness and the the love of God is all encompassing, and it's it's the understanding that uh, that that it's always available. You know, like I said a few minutes ago, that we're we're blameless uh, because our identity is in Christ. But when we have things that come up that trip us up, which everybody has. We we know that we've we've got that anchor. Amen. You know, I always I always yeah. get amused by watching these when they call these people on T V anchors. <laughs> you know, these these news people anchors. What a bunch of stuff, you know.
3: They're no yeah. <laughs> Jesus Christ is the anchor for Pete's sake, you know.
4: Yeah. Well somebody's gotta hold the lies down, bro. <laughs> yeah the the uh the Babylonian world does that a lot with the terminology I've been trying to make a list of different things like that, and one of them is uh I think it's odd how the people talk about being as dumb as a rock or a pet or having a pet rock. It's like do we not see that this is assaulting the Lord right this is I have a feeling that Satan has made these different slogans to just defame christians and and our belief in scripture but it's so awesome that you said that lee because yeah it's i totally totally agree 1000 percent. because true repentance is someone who acknowledges that their sin is wrong and that they've yeah. sinned against god just like david you know against you you only have i sinned against right so to me that is the spot on and i think that that is definitely going to bless the rest of this stream for everyone who heard that because that's a big difference well you have a, you have a
5: sensitivity you have a different you have a different way of looking at things when when you've made Jesus Christ the Lord in your life you're, you're you know when you're a natural man, it doesn't make any sense. in fact, the word says that you're not going to receive the things of the Spirit of God. but once you have that uh, that truth, once you have that Holy Spirit within you, you you just look at things differently. And and once you start to get the word and put the word on, renew your mind, then you really start to look at things differently. And you'll, you you have spiritual senses and you'll see, you know, you'll know, hey, this is not right. This is, yeah. this I, I heard this and this just not, it doesn't, it doesn't make any sense or it's just wrong. And then, and then, you know, a lot of times you'll just, and the father will show you, he'll say, you know, You just, you need to be aware of this, sir. It's like a, uh, it's a warning thing. I I always feel a lot of times what happens is it's a, uh, it's kind of a check in your spirit. It's, whoa, 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 You know, it's like a running back going into the line and he sees that the plays is supposed to go to the right, but all of a sudden that, that that block opens him up to the left, he's gone. Yep. And he, I mean, I'm, that's just the way it works. And, and uh, it's it's a, you know, it, if the Lord, if God is working in us to willing to do of his good pleasure, um,
3: why don't we just let him? <laughs> that know? really comes down to the whole self-will question, because really, um, I think that's what, what faith is, is relinquishing our self-will and trusting the Lord that his ways are best. Amen. See, Greg, there was a question that's been up a couple of times. We never did get to that question. You still got that one handy? Oh, yeah, sure. Uh, let me uh, bring it up.
0: Yeah, the question was uh, pertaining to the beast specifically. Um, you think the Jews will welcome the mark of the beast? Is there anything in
3: Judaism that states not to take the mark? That's an interesting question. Oh let's start with the second question. Is there anything in Judaism that states not to take the mark? I don't recollect anything in the Old Testament that addresses that subject directly, though you might be able to infer it from a couple of the Antichrist passages. Um, In Judaism itself, which would be the extra biblical uh, interpretations based on the Old Testament, again, I'm not aware of anything. How about the question: Do the Jews are? Do you think the Jews are going to welcome the mark of the beast? Well, I think we can get the answer from that in a very general way, from Zechariah chapter thirteen, where we read uh, that one third of Israel is going to come through the fire and be saved. The implication is that two thirds will be lost. So I think that we can uh, answer from that that two thirds of the Jews, or the majority of the nation, is going to welcome the mark of the beast. But a significant percentage of Israel is going is to welcome the Messiah. And what's fascinating about this, if one-third of the Jews receive the Messiah, that's a big enough percentage that, that this is a national reception of the Lord. What else is interesting about this, I don't think there's ever been a time in history where one-third of the citizens of a nation believed the gospel and were truly saved. And so... This, uh, in the 70th week, I think we're going to see one of the greatest revivals in history amongst the Jewish people. Mm-hmm. Wow,
1: there he is. Good. that's it. I'll go here too about dealing with the mark of the beast. Says the people not taking the mark of the beast are going to have the Holy Spirit inside as we. I don't think they worded this right here. So the people who do, Basically, when you take the mark of the beast, will you have the Holy Spirit inside you? Well, evidently, you don't have the indwelling Holy Spirit in you if you're settling for the mark.
2: No, they're yeah. saying they're saying the people who do not take the mark of the beast and are beheaded, do they have the Holy Spirit inside them like we do?
1: Um, I believe that they have the Holy Spirit that comes upon them. They don't have the indwelling Holy Spirit sealing as we receive our instructions as done to us in Ephesians. Uh, 1, 13, 14, Ephesians 4, 30. Okay, I don't hear uh, Peter, correct me if I'm wrong, saying that these people are getting sealed with the Holy Spirit. Yeah, They become born again, but, you know, the gospel, the everlasting gospel is a works-based gospel. You know, they get their lambs, The names are blotted on the lambs, the book of life. You know, there are, there are certain contingencies on them. You know, if they persevere to the end, not taking the mark, they'll be saved you know, so as a workspace gospel, well, there's
2: complete obedience, right? I mean, yeah. either you're, you're, I mean, you're going to be a remnant, you have to flee, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, you're going to have total obedience there. And then the other is that you're, you're going to e- either do that or you're going to die. And, uh, you know, okay. that, that is, that is the, uh, like the ultimate work, right? Is to actually give up your life, um, for your faith. And, um, so there's really no middle ground there in, in during the tribulation. So I think Lee you said it best it's like the final test, you know. That's it's, right. It's, there's no there's no middle ground anymore at a certain point. Right. It's just uh, you know it's either the Antichrist way or the highway and if yeah. you take the highway then you basically lose your life to gain it. And right. Yeah, I, I,
3: before we get on to this new question on the Abrahamic covenant, I just wanted to offer a couple of thoughts, just food for thought for folks on the new covenant and the 70th week. Uh, one thing I, I find interesting is that the new covenant in Ezekiel, Jeremiah, and and uh, the Holy spirit of the new covenant in, Jer- in books like Joel were presented to Israel. And that is, new covenant was first offered to Israel in the 69th week, and the nation as a whole rejected it. But there were a few individuals that did receive it, and the Spirit was poured out upon them at Pentecost. Now, it wasn't until the Gentiles were added that we had the one new man, according to Ephesians 2. And I think the Lord is going to pick up with Israel at exactly the same spot that he left off when he comes into the 70th week. And that it'll be the same new covenant message that we currently have. It'll be attached to earthly religion rather than the current church heavenly religion. And um, I I think that um, if, if the Jews, we got the indwelling of the Holy Spirit poured out on us at Pentecost. In the book of Joel, it promises that the Holy Spirit is going to be poured out upon all Jewish flesh in the last days. And that's the same new covenant Holy Spirit that we have. I do think that they're going to have the indwelling Holy Spirit during the 70th week. The the difficulty is, and it's, it's a struggle for some people, how do you balance the fact that they still have the law going on at the same time that they got the gospel going on? And I think the way to handle that is they're on the same ground that the disciples were pretty much like during the 69th week, and then all the way up through the baptism of the Holy Spirit prior to the influx of the Gentiles and, and prior to the revelation of Paul of, of the unique church ministry. Um, and when it comes to things like um, uh, that he that endures unto the end shall be saved, I would be inclined to take that not as a condition of salvation, but as an expression of the fact that believers are overcomers, hmm. uh, that all believers are going to, because they have the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit, uh, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, there's a power in them that's greater than the power that's in the world. And that's going to give them uh, the victory. And so I would be inclined to, to look at the everlasting gospel. is the same gospel that we've had. and in, in fact, the same gospel that was, promised in the garden in Genesis because there they were given the promise of the Messiah because they had the promise of the seed of the woman and they were given the promise of the blood covering because they were covered with the lamb skins and that little core furtive or kind of secretive gospel message there that went all the way through the Old Testament until it blossomed with the gospel uh, blessings of Jesus in the New Testament And then it's going to explode again during the 70th week when that blessing is given to the nation of Israel. And I love that passage in Romans where it says, if the putting away of Israel was a blessing to the Gentiles, how much more is going to be the reception of Israel? Is it going to be a blessing to the Gentiles?
2: So one, One thing that's interesting is that the millennium that has a temple, yet eternity does not. Uh, That's exactly right. right. So I mean, there's so it's going to take a thousand years of training, basically, to 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 say, okay, this is the this is it. There's not going to be any temple after this. That's uh, right. It's 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 like all these years they've had a temple and then they didn't and then they're going to rebuild it and there's going to be an, also a millennium temple and then there's not going to be one. So there, there's there's this period of time which is a transitionary period of time. And That's I think right. We, it, it, mm-hmm. it, it kind of helps to understand um, the Jewish mindset, like the, like they have the gospel and the temple at the same time. How is that even possible? But there is going to be a transitionary period that is going to be there. And I, I think that's going to be an interesting thing for us to be a part of as, as a, you know, co-heirs and rulers Amen. and rulers as
4: well. Amen. 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 Yeah, We've got things
2: to learn. I, I think the seven years is going to be a crash course for us.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right.
4: Sure. All right, we have two
0: people
2: leaving now we
0: have michael and uh robert we thank you for coming on
4: well i appreciate it guys and if, we, yeah, if it, you just I'm got a second just kind of want to throw some food for thought out there on my way out but um yeah. going back to talking about the wilderness and something interesting that i've kind of seen the pattern in scripture we have the uh Songs of Solomon, right? We have the, what was it the Shulamite, right? That says, I am dark and lovely, right? And it's a, we all seen this as a picture of, of the bride, right? And it's so awesome because I was reading it and the Lord just kind of started putting pieces together. And we know that we're in this fasting type here that Jesus spoke of. We are in this wilderness type of experience. And when we see what happened at the crucifixion, the Holy Spirit that left, right, the Holy of Holies. And it's so interesting and humbling that not only did the king of the universe, right, come down here in absolute humility to fulfill the law and to offer himself up as the one and done sacrifice. But when the Spirit left the temple, it came and is dwelling now in the tents of our body, just like we see pictured out through the wilderness when Moses was going in he tabernacles with us inside of us. And how amazing is that? And when we see her saying that, hey, you know, I'm dark and lovely, right? This picture of basking in the sun, the ultraviolet light that cleanses. But yet when we stay in orbit around Jesus, right, we see the frailties of ourself and it constantly reminds us to stay humble, and it's through that, that the God, He just, God just really just starts blowing our mind with these concepts and teaching us and showing us things that we could never see in the blindness of our, of our pride. And that was something the Lord showed me. And I was like, man, I got to pay that one forward because I was like, God, you're, you're too cool. And, um, I can't wait if there's little nuggets of treasures like that throughout scripture, imagine how much more that we don't even realize how much awesome Mm -hmm. stuff there is out there for us all. And I think that's awesome. But I just want to kind of throw that food for thought and think about those connections there. But uh, God bless you guys. Thank you. All right. Take care. God bless.
5: Real quick before I go. You know, God is too cool. <laughs> That's Michael. But uh, no, it's it's been a blessing to be on with you guys tonight. And uh, you know, I I just exhort the people that are in the chat room or somebody tuning in to uh, give Jesus Christ a chance. Amen. You know, um, don't 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 put this off any longer. Uh, don't um, say you know I'm going to go out and. And party hardy, and then in a, in a couple of weeks, I'll, I'll look into seeing if it's the truth or not. Uh, it's the time the time to make the decision is now. And um, if you ask him, he'll he'll answer you. You know, you seek him, and you're going to find it. We're we're seekers here. You know, uh, those that hunger and thirst after righteousness shall be filled. And it's not it's not that we're filled and that's it know, uh, everything that, you know, the the, uh, learning goes on. It doesn't stop. Um, You know, I've known about, I've known the Word for a lot of years, but I still am amazed at how he brings the understanding to people. Uh, You know, Michael, uh, bless his heart, he's a great man. He's a great brother. Uh, He's young in the Word, but his understanding he's he's getting a lot of understanding he's getting a lot of wisdom mm-hmm. um you know uh, bob uh, barber who we lovingly call doc the same way and also kevin and greg and and yuli you know it's it i can see it just from the time we've been on here the second time the understanding is um you know those the eyes of our understanding are being opened and and um he he's uh, He's going to teach us and and lead us in the in the ways of truth. So that's what I want to end with tonight. And uh, bless all you guys and have a great week. All right. Thank
2: you, you very you much. Too.
3: Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Yeah. Take
2: you. it easy now. Bye. See you later, bro.
1: All right. I guess we get to the next question now. And question. Yeah.
3: <laughs> Lee, um, is the Abrahamic covenant of I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you relevant for the church today Or? And I would say, yes, it is. From the time that this uh, covenant was presented to the to the world, it's been in force. And it will be in force all the way through the church age, through the 70th week and uh, the tribulation and through the millennium. Yes.
1: Yeah, I got a good one here for you.
2: And through eternity. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> it says you're, you're going to be like, you're going to have the descendants uh, forever. It's, uh, yeah, that's true. It's forever. Yeah. It, it doesn't just stop, it doesn't stop at the millennium. It goes on forever.
0: He's the same today and even forever. right? Yeah, yeah, and the
2: beautiful thing is is that we're grafted into that covenant. Yes. We are part of that covenant now. And that's Amen. the mystery that, Bob, you were talking about earlier, that Satan had no idea that was going to be coming up. I mean, he, he was looking just for, at the Jewish people figuring out how to stop a Messiah over and over and over again and getting thwarted, and the next thing you know, it's opened up to everybody in the entire world, and it's like, oh, what have I done? I'm sure, yeah. <laughs> you know, he's, he's, he's really not happy, uh, and you can tell because he's, he's not, he's making us and everybody else attempting to make us miserable, but we have the peace that passes all understanding, so he cannot touch us. That's why the gates Ooh. of hell will not stand against us.
1: That's another another point, too. That's why Satan hates the people who properly teach this gospel. They hate, he hates the people that teach the gospel of grace correctly. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, they were not saved by works or saved by grace through faith alone. It's a gift of God, not of works of sin, and it's boast, all right? He wants everybody out there to miss that, okay? He wants everybody out there to think that they get saved by their works so they cannot receive the gift of everlasting life. And Being sealed. That's why you see all these people that preach works to get saved right now. They don't believe in being once born again, always born again. And th- those are people who just. Do uh, you see how irate they become when you start preaching this? Okay, there's there are people in the chat the right thing. now. Bob. What's that?
2: There are people in the chat right now. Yeah, that are. I mean, we're having the, we're having a discussion right now. People, you can forfeit your salvation. I mean, by the yeah, things that you,
1: that you do. You don't listen. Don't listen it's, to those people. They don't know their Bible, okay? It's,
2: I mean, it, it takes away everything that Jesus did, and, and it puts it all on a person. Like, you have any any kind of thing that you can do in order to, to, to take away a gift once you've accepted it. I mean, it makes absolutely no sense. It diminishes the entire gift. Right. It throws away all of that. It's in vain at that point. It makes absolutely no sense.
3: Right. I'd like to offer some insight on the falling away passages just to help out some of those that might be listening who struggle with those passages or wonder what to do with them. And uh, because this is how I handle it. When you look out at the professing church, every year we see people walk away from their Christianity that they professed and uh, they never come back. They go back to their paganism. They go back to their wickedness and and they – They not only go back to sin, they reject the Jesus, they reject the Bible, they reject the gospel that they once believed in. This is apostasy. But I don't believe these people were born again, and I don't believe uh, that they were saved. Their name was never written in the Lamb's Book of Life. They were never indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Um, One time, uh, a pretty strong preacher one time said to me, Brother Lee, if you can fall away, you will fall away. If you're not indwelt by the same Holy Spirit that raised Christ from the dead, you are no match for the world or the devil. You're not even any match for your flesh. And that really resonated with me. And so I think what we see in the falling away passages in the book of Hebrews, we don't see people who got saved and now they're getting unsaved. We see people who made a profession. They walked with the people of God for a while. They said the right kind of things. They maybe went to a Bible study or church for a while. But inside they had a secret sin. They had an idol that they had never forsaken. And eventually the tension got so much that they chose that idol over the Lord. They never surrendered and they walked away. And so these people are not losing their salvation in the sense of becoming unjustified or having their name stricken out of the book of life or having the Holy Spirit yanked out of them, these people are walking away from salvation. Uh, They saw the light. They toyed with the light. They saw the light. They experienced the light, but they never surrendered to the light, and that light is Jesus Christ. It's the the
2: parable of the sower. It's the parable of the sower. I mean, uh, there are certain people that hear it, and it doesn't sink in. And then Old they and get away by the by the cares mm-hmm. of the world. That's right. And they were, and as Jesus said it best, they were never of us.
1: That's right. right. They danced around the fire, but they never jumped in that fire and got consumed by it. You can't yeah. go back
2: after you do that. It is mm-hmm. a complete change of your spirit. It's it's not right. a change of your body. That hasn't happened yet. That happens at the resurrection, at the rapture. But what, and, and we are in a constant battle with. Changing our soul with with suppressing our, uh, you know, our human nature of the soul in order to put that down so that we can receive it when we when we when we are uh, in heaven and glorified. So all those three spirit, soul and body will all be glorified together right now we have a spirit that is 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 pure and is righteous we have a body that's completely corrupt and we have a soul that's in battle <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> you know that's uh that's the one thing right now uh, uh, that your soul i mean your spirit is sealed until the day of redemption yes okay yeah. but uh you know that's the thing i was talking about satan hates the fact that we are given this free gift of salvation the moment we believe we fully believe Okay, truly saved, truly born again. You know why? Because that represents his defeat. That's right. That the pureness of that gospel represents his defeat. So if he can get these people out here saying, "Hey, you're saved by this work, or this work, not by what Jesus did," completely do your work, this work, just a little bit here, a little bit there, then you're saved. You know what? that's that that's just him trying to take away from what Jesus did. Where you're all that the one thing that Jesus did that ultimately saved you. Okay, so if you got anybody out there preaching you're saved by your, you're saved by works during the age of grace, okay, they're just doing the devil's bidding. Okay, don't listen to those people. Yeah, yeah.
2: don't let anybody try to steal your crown in the it's, hope that you. They're have. They're not saved I mean, yet. It's no,
0: part of the apostasy, and it's pop, you know people's minds are being changed over to that that area as well. Mm-hmm. So that's part of an apostasy. But right. isn't the whole
2: thing regarding faith and belief is like just abandoning you and putting it all on Christ. I mean th- that is what it's all about is that mm-hmm. I cannot get to heaven with my myself. I cannot do anything in order to get there. I must believe that Christ did the work for me and then th- and then at that point when you've done that, that's your that's you believe in the first work of the cross. Then you have the second work of the cross which is Galatians 2:10 and says that it is not me who live, but it is Christ who lives within me. That is the soul battle that goes on. That's a process what a lot of people know as sanctification. It is an ongoing thing. It's every single day. And that, when you do those things and you, and you don't do certain things, you get rewards taken away from you. And when you do other things, you get rewards given to you. But that is completely different from salvation. That's Salvation right. is a free gift from God, and it's not of works, lest anyone should boast about it. Mm-hmm. Amen.
1: Amen. We'll I'm here. just talking.
2: About, right. I'm just saying the Bible. Yeah. I mean, that's not me making it up. Those are actual verses. I think that's like Ephesians 2, 8, 9 or something like that. Right. I mean, it's, Ephesians it's, 2,
1: 8, 9, yeah. yeah. I I mean, Ephesians right 2, 8, 8 9, Ephesians 1, 13, 14, and 4, 30. Yeah, so we so don't make these things
2: those... up, do we?
1: Amen. <laughs> Here's a question for Lee says, Lee, explain the pre-rapture timeline. Much love.
3: <laughs> okay. Um I I assume she's talking about a timeline that's gonna lead up to the rapture. Yeah. Um this is a really it's a it's a I wouldn't say it's a trick question, but it is a very difficult question to answer. Um and, and the reason for this is there isn't really a timeline in the Bible that's going to um tell us when the rapture is going to happen. There's a few things that can give us a a general idea of the time, but it can't pinpoint the day or the hour. So one of the things that would give us a general idea, we call it the fig tree generation, Mm -hmm. the generation that was alive when Israel was reborn in May of 1948. Uh, If you were five years old then, you would be 80 years old today. This generation is not going to pass away until everything's fulfilled. So let's just say the oldest people are going to die at 105. So we've got a few years before everything has to to be fulfilled. We back up from there and we think, well, we're getting close to the rapture. Um, And there's a few arguments that are along that line. There's other arguments that are uh, in the prophetic convergence concept where there's stuff that's going on in the world around us uh, that where the world's getting worse and worse, and it's racing us towards the stage setting for the seventieth week. And the theory goes: when we see this stage getting set, uh, we have to go up before that stage is fully set. And some of the stuff that we're seeing right now with the the uh, the um, digital the world digital banking system that's coming into play. Uh, with some of the uh, World Health Organization regulations that are going to be coming into play, mm-hmm. uh, that are going to affect our transportation, uh, with the carbon credits and the green footprint, and we could just go on and on. The the um, the train wrecking of of our infrastructure for food and energy. I uh, just there, it's endless. This stuff is setting up the world, the setting the stage for the tribulation. And right now, we see that stage very far advanced in the setting. And to be honest, even though I suspect we still have one or two years to go before the rapture of the church, I also at the same time have to honestly say we have literally come to a point where I think the stage is far enough set that that we're not exaggerating if we say the rapture can literally happen any moment.
2: So in other Amen. words, we, we can see the day approaching, is what you're yep. saying. <laughs> yep. um, let me ask some specific, though, some specific questions about it. Do you believe that, for example, Isaiah 17, 1, will, will occur prior to the rapture or after the rapture?
3: Well, let me pull that passage up. And, it's,
2: the, it's the prophecy of Damascus.
3: Yep. Okay. Now, um, I do think uh, the prophecy of Damascus is probably uh, uh, going, and this is Damascus, Syria, for those of you that are not aware. Um, Damascus is probably the oldest city on earth as far as uh, being in existence the longest time. And if it's not the oldest uh, city on earth, it's the oldest big city on earth. At any rate, uh, the Damascus is going to be turned into a ruinous heap. Now, uh, Damascus has been in a few wars. It's never been turned into a ruinous heap to this point. So the, the question is, are we going to see Damascus turn to rubble before the rapture or after the rapture? I can't say with absolute certainty that it won't happen prior to the rapture. But I do think it's uh, because this judgment seems to be associated with the vindication of Israel, I think it's it's very highly probable that it's going to happen after the rapture. I tend to put the Psalm 83 war and the Ezekiel 38 and 39 war together. Mm -hmm. Two conglomerations that come together at one time. Both of them end with fire from heaven. Uh, both of them end with God vindicating himself and vindicating Israel, uh, end with the destruction of Israel's enemies. I think that's what's going to set the stage for the Antichrist to roll in to power. I think this is going to happen after the rapture. And I don't know if it happens three weeks, three months, or a year after the rapture. Is it
2: possible that it's after the rapture, but before the beginning of the 70th week?
3: I, do, In yeah. fact, not only do I think it's possible, I think it's probable.
1: Mm-hmm. You know, I think one thing yeah. in order for this for this to be achieved logically yep. you would need to drop a nuke on it. You would have to yep. drop a you need to drop like a hydrogen bomb or something on this thing for it to be to cease to be a city because there's a lot of people living there still. Yep. So there cannot be any life at all in that city. That would be so thousands there. of cruise missiles. <laughs> yeah. Sure, so, sure, if it's
2: conventional and, war I mean, you're talking, it says in evening, evening tide, there is trouble. Yep. And in morning, it is not. That's right. So, I mean, it's talking about something that happens over the course of, say, nine hours, yep. where? where there's a city that has millions of people in it. And by morning, it is unhappy. but
1: so the, well, the fact we have so much narratives going on right now, people, different nations, NATO threatening Russia with nukes and vice versa. You know the fact that that narrative is going on now, and you got Iran want to send their very first nuke at Israel. That's I don't think it's too far fetched to say that that's what's going to happen to Damascus. Yeah. So a couple of questions. One question
2: is: Do you think that the the that something is going to happen uh, in Israel? Say like where it talks about Ashkelon and Ashdod being destroyed. Do you think that that is actually what spurs on Israel to retaliate uh, and and take out say like Damascus since since uh, say Hezbollah and or and or Hamas decide to attack in a Psalm eighty three type of, of uh, you know war where they're 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 destroying Israeli cities. And they're lobbing in missiles from Syria and Lebanon and Gaza because both, all three of those are are prophesied to be destroyed. Like, <laughs> I mean, it's like you know, withering of the of the of the cedars of Lebanon. The the Gaza is destroyed. Yeah, uh, Ashkelon and Ashdod, Jewish cities, are destroyed. Of course, Damascus is destroyed. Uh, and then you have. Um, by the way, I was going to ask you: Do you believe that? say, Jeremiah 49, when it talks about Elam, which is the southwest part of Iran, do you believe that that prophecy still is yet to be fulfilled?
3: Uh, Well, let's deal with uh, the Damascus Psalm 83 first, then we'll come over to Elam. But myself, with that whole conglomeration of the Psalm 83, the Damascus, I put Psalm 83 and Damascus together Um and and I associate it with Ezekiel 38 and 39. Now, I I couldn't say for absolute certain that Israel's not going to be involved in this, but when I look at Psalm 83, mm-hmm. to me it looks like this is a judgment from heaven where Israel's in a situation where she is in a, a hopeless situation, sure. early speaking. I mean, if it was just Israel's immediate enemies, I think Israel could take them on. But now, if if these immediate enemies—Syria, Jordan, um, the Palestinians, and et cetera—if mm-hmm. um, these have the backing of Turkey and Iran and Russia, right. and America is standing on the sidelines, twiddling her thumbs,
2: and Saudi Arabia as well.
3: Yep, there—it's a hopeless place.
2: Yes. And I
3: think I think Israel's going to find herself in a place. Where she realizes that she's in over her head, Nobody's coming to her aid, and if God doesn't aid her, she's toast. Right, and that's exactly where God wants her.
2: Well, and that's and that's why God does it. Uh, I mean, He says that the reason why He does it is to to show the world that this is these are my people, Israel, which Amen. totally makes it uh, a sense that it would happen post rapture. Because yeah. right now, his he, his his people ultimately are Israel, and they always have been. He has a covenant forever, but he does this at the at a certain point, and he turns yeah. his face to Israel and he shows the world and says, "I am their God," and he does it in a supernatural way, yeah. uh, because Israel does not defeat five six of their army. God does. <laughs> Amen. And, so it, and, it, and it, the very people where the it, Lord had said,
3: you are not my people, lo Ami. Now he's going to say my people, Ami. Exactly. Can, you imagine, can you imagine how exciting it would be to be a Jew on that day? Oh, yeah. And on that day, you get saved, you get born again, you trust the Messiah, and you get delivered. And wow, that's going to mm-hmm. be better than the wildest Pentecostal
2: meeting on the planet.
3: <laughs> but, yeah, you know, what does do, it does do, though,
2: too, is something that big would cause a uh, an issue to be, have to be resolved, right? No doubt. Possibly a peace with many. Yeah, that's <laughs> or right. is also known as a covenant with death.
0: Yep, yep. It has yeah. to be set up for it. Yeah. It has to set yeah. the stage and, okay, for and then, so e,
2: and then about Elam, what do you think yeah. about, well, where does that factor in all this? To be honest,
3: I have not gotten to the bottom of the Elam issue yet. I'm I'm just finishing up my research on Psalm 83 and Ezekiel 38 and 39 and how I tie all that together. I've been on the Assyria issue for a long, long time, and I think I'm finally getting that one nailed down. I do need to move on to the Elam one. Uh, um, I'm 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 a little skeptical of that one uh, that there's Iran has that particular place in the last days, um, but. Who knows?
2: It's in. It's just really, I think it's really interesting and coincidental yep. that that's where they're, you know, a gigantic nuke plan is right there in, in the southwest yep. in Bashir. And yep. that Iran is now, you know, saying, sorry, if you're not going to sign this deal, we're just going to go ahead and make these nukes. And then you have Israel, who has said for many, many years that Iran's right at the red line. And now you have the prime minister coming back, which is the most hawkish, Against Iran. So yeah, yeah. Uh, we were talking about this last week. Is it possible that Netanyahu's coming into back into power right at the perfect time in order to basically make 2023 just a powder keg to start oh, yeah. everything rolling again so that we can actually get out of here possibly next year or 2024?
3: Yeah. Well, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, Israel actually does something to yeah. uh, stop this or slow down this nuclear program. This coming year, but if she does, as far as the world's concerned, she's signing her death warrant. Uh, that's mm-hmm. going to just you're, the the tightness between Syria, Turkey, Russia, Iran, and yes. other nations is going to come together. Um, but hey, uh, this is this is all part of God's roadmap to the rapture.
2: That's that, mm-hmm. that. That's what I always thought too. I always thought that after looking at all these things. That I've come come to a conclusion, and it could be wrong, (laughs) of course, but my conclusion to me, which makes logical sense, is that Iran's threatening Israel. Israel preemptively deals with the Iran issue and does something in order to provoke them. Which sets off Hezbo- Hezbollah and Hamas. Hezbollah has like two hundred thousand missiles. They're not going to be there forever, just sitting in dust. Okay, yep. they are going to fire them off one day, and they need a reason for it. Now they are—they do already have a reason, mm-hmm. but that would give them, in their minds, complete justification and the world's justification. Oh, I can't believe you did that. Okay, well, bam, fired mm-hmm. off, and then that all that would do is just—that's the match, and it just sets it all off. From there, the dominoes fall. Ash- Ashkelon Ashdod then Damascus and then Russia Turkey Syria and say okay that's it we're coming in everybody says we're coming in we're going to get rid of this problem nobody's using nukes except for Israel and all of a sudden this happened okay we need to get rid of this these guys we're going to go in and take everything we're going to take their land we're going to take everything from them and then uh, of course like you said when that whole massive army comes that is a big problem that can't be solved by just a little nation God intervenes destroys them, they're more than willing now to make peace because they've got nothing. You know? <laughs> and then all of a sudden the Antichrist comes in, the Assyrian, and says, all right, we're going to mend fences here and we're going to let you build your temple and this and that. And the next thing you know, bam, 70th week's kicked off.
1: You uh, know, I, have I have a theory. I have a ahead. theory um, real quick. is uh, I believe the rapture will take place before uh, Damascus is destroyed. And I based that information on what I've been doing here for Dreams and Visions over the last 10 years where I've been chronicling these things. Okay. And uh, basically, what we see is the rapture takes place right at, right before the nuclear war here in the United States. I think what's going to happen is United States, NATO, Russia, we're going to go at each other first. Shoot nukes at each other, blow everything up. And Israel, the other countries, Iran, they're going to kind of watch what's going on there. Of course, if something like that, Lee, I think the rapture would take place before that mass destruction. Yep. And then we're gone. Okay. And then once the dust settles with Russia and America, then, of course, America is gone. All right. Then Russia turns its focus towards Israel. And everybody's like, okay, if that that's done there. Now it's just the whole nuke thing's out of the bag. It's normal normal to use nukes now. We'll start using nukes over here in the east, right. you know, on each other. Okay, so I think that's that's basically my theory is how it might play out that the rapture will take place before the destruction of Damascus.
2: Yep. That could definitely open the door, couldn't it? I mean, when one person uses it, I mean that that opens a, a, a door to to everybody. It's be it's just okay, and then the new norm. That's a scary place to live in, and uh, it makes sense that that would happen after the rapture. We are the light. When we leave, darkness descends. And, right. uh, it's, it, and I, I agree with you that what you said when you first, well, I was like almost the first line you said, Lee, which is that time is going to be worse than ever before. We, yeah. we really can't even imagine how bad it's going to be. We think it's bad now, but ramp it up a thousand times. And then yeah. you got yourself what's going to happen in the 70th week.
3: This whole Russia Ukraine situation is, is to me it's kind of becoming old news. Mm-hmm. But really when you look at that situation, I think the things are actually closer to um the anti being upped in this war than they ever have been. Yes. Because Russia is Russia's gone from being angry uh at the Western involvement, American involvement. To to be an enraged, yeah. and now to actually being scared. You when know, you uh, corner a bear and that bear is scared, you've got a fight on your
2: hands. Don't poke the bear. That's I mean, exactly right. But that's what we're doing. We just we just sign another blank check. Almost. I mean, it's it's ridiculous. And the fact is, is that Russia sees that and says, these pe- he can hear us when our yep. president says we are never going to stop. Giving them yeah. what they need in order to defeat Russia, that Russia doesn't doesn't take that as a joke. Okay. You know, mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, they gotta but step the in do something. Thing. You know, what's that saying? You back a dog into a corner, she's gonna bite. Oh yeah. yeah. He's so common. He's He's
0: held off a long, he's held off quite a bit already. He has, you have to admit. (laughs) He does not want a war, he does not want this. No,
2: no, but it kind of feels like we're on this tip, we're at this tipping point where it's like it's gonna like something is gonna have to give because oh, yeah, it's either, yeah, and it just feels like we're just about there, doesn't it? Lee, it's like a lot of people think, oh, it's winding down. I think it's actually. Not even to its oh, peak. Oh, well, yeah. Now,
3: Russia has about 200,000 new troops that are being prepared for right. invasion. Uh, Belarus has her troops ready. Mm-hmm. There's rumors and reports of other uh, Union troops uh, from other nations that might be employed. This is a very interesting situation. We have Iran now is getting involved in this. Yep. Uh, um, with troops on the ground, so yes. far only advisors and and using with her drones, but we could see more. North Korea
2: and, has also um, yep. uh, volunteered their army as well for Russia. Yep. And oh, so, man. this is a really interesting
3: situation. I I expect I've expected Russia to win this from the very beginning. Sure. I did not expect the war to go on this long mm. and uh, I expect that Russia is going to eventually roll through her former Soviet Union states, consolidate power, and then roll south.
2: Well, that makes sense. I mean that is yeah. that, that seems to be biblical as well when you when you're talking about gog of Magog and yep. coming down and it's the, if they're already on the border of Syria, which they're they're already there right now, it makes sense that they just want to consolidate as much land as they possibly can and then ultimately come down and take Israel as well. And then they can split up the, the you know, the booty with, uh, with the Iran and Turkey at the end. That's in their yeah. mind. That's now I really wouldn't great. be surprised. Yeah. What I'm, what I expect to see is Russia
3: to lay down a pretty nasty hand of cards on the table um, and, and see if America is going to call her bluff or fold. Yeah. And I, I think that this is going to involve tactical nukes and some pretty heavy military incursions. I think she's going to go beyond Ukraine, maybe involve the Baltic states, going to try America's hand. It, yeah. how, how does America willing to go toe to toe? Are we willing to go to war? Are we got willing to go nuclear war? And if we stay aside, well, then she's going to roll. And, and NATO will fold and the EU will
2: fold. Mm-hmm. I just—do you yep. think that Russia though is going is to attempt to attack any NATO nation? Well, I—I I basically
3: my suspicion is she's going to have to. The only really? way she's going to win this conflict, she has to call NATO's bluff. She has to call America's bluff. Either that, or she's got to lose face, put her tail between her legs, and go home. What's the first country? Is it Poland? It could be Poland. Could be the Baltic states. Um, I'm not really sure. I mean, the Baltic states give her access to an amazing port, and and she's uh, but and it also her little landlocked piece of, of, of territory there is going to be no longer landlocked. But on the other hand, um,
2: Poland's a pretty piece too, a lot of yeah, fun. Yeah, but there. I mean, what, what are the, which nations of those Baltic states are NATO uh, uh, participants? Um.
3: I believe Latvia and Lithuania are, if
2: I'm not mistaken. Are they? Yeah. Okay. Well, um, you think that those are in jeopardy as well? Yeah. I mean, it, listen. If, if that is the case, then NATO must protect and retaliate. Uh, but you, and then you don't. But you don't think that they that NATO. You think NATO is going to fold? They're they're just they're not going. They don't have the stomach to do it. That's my think, fear.
1: Yeah. Wow. yeah, I think once America is out of the picture, you know they'll they'll, they'll go for Israel like you wouldn't believe. Sure, of course. So that's why I'm still thinking that you know it's going to go down between America. Really, really, ultimately, ultimately, what they want they want America and Russia to unload their nuclear arsenal on each other. You know, ultimately. You know, so it's I funny because uh, I'm
2: looking at the situation right now where everybody's all in on Zelensky and Ukraine here in the United States. Uh, We just saw him in Congress this last week. Um, But the question is, like, when it really comes down to kinetic warfare and actually putting boots on the ground, will those same people actually support that? And I think, Lee, you you might have hit the nail on the head. I don't think that they've got the stomach for it. I think they would probably turn tail and say, well, we've done all we could. We've given them everything. We've given them billions of our tax dollars, but we're not going to go out and shoot a rifle. Yep. Basically, I think what's
3: going on right now is NATO and America are fighting a war with Russia. It's a proxy yeah. war. Yeah. And we're just letting the Ukrainians get bloodied. We're th- we're giving money and weapons, and they're the ones taking a beating.
2: Yeah. It's kind of a sad yeah. state of affairs really considering what was like uh, 20 years ago we we took away all their weapons that could help them protect themselves. Oh, I know. I know. And now we have to pay billions and billions of dollars to give them weapons to protect themselves. It's really disheartening more to see. on their country in order to protect their border than we are on ours and with our border.
0: Yeah, it's really sad. Uh, the whole, the whole air, this whole topic is really saddening. Um, we are, we are definitely at a point of no return on that. Uh, yeah,
3: that's no doubt. Unless someone
0: else steps in yep. to clear this up, which I don't see happening during this president's
1: term. Um Nobody, I don't think anybody's gonna take this thing real seriously to that first no. tactical nuke is dropped.
2: Uh, and that's well, when yep. that
1: angel that, that that that's when that second seals open, that angel, that horseman, the red horseman, you know, takes peace from the earth. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that first nuke drops, man, all bets are off the table. Yeah. You know well,
0: guys, it's it's uh ten or ten minutes after overtime, but uh, Keep going. for the most part. Thank you, Lee. I know you're uh I <laughs> feel a little under the weather, but uh, thank you for taking the time to uh, to be well, on Well I've
3: very much enjoyed the time. Uh pleasure making your acquaintance, Kevin yeah. and Greg and Bob. Great to be with you guys again. Same here, Lee. Yeah, enjoy. Amen. God bless you all. And
0: uh Lee, feel free to stick with us uh after the live feed is on Yep, that's fine. Yeah, we can, yeah, we can talk a little bit. And later. happy
2: new year to everyone. That's right. Next time yep. we'll see you will be in twenty twenty three.
1: Yep. Amen.
0: There or in the air, right? We're in the air. God bless.